Greetings, and welcome to the Space Cave, a big warg to all of you. Uh, this episode, well, you'll hear how it came to be. A special thanks to Ben Ellis, and could do a whole episode when I get down to where he's living now and catch up, uh, but he was nice enough, you'll hear the whole story, how it came to be, uh, to introduce me to my guest today. And just a reminder, this weekend... I will be in Salt Lake City at Wise Guys opening for Nick Swardson. So if you live in that area, come by and say hello. In fact, reach out. If you're a space burger and you want to go, I'll see if I can get you on the list. Let me know. Uh, okay. Thanks again to Ben. Thanks to those of you who uh, support the show on Patreon and just in general. Thanks for listening. This gentleman it was a delight to chat with. I think you're really going to like this one. It felt very space cavey. Uh, he puts together um, a site called Eclectic Spacewalk, and I can't recommend it enough. It uh, is a collection of, if you like this show, you will like it. You'll want to go and uh, just peruse it. It's it's kind of a, I don't even know how to describe it, but if you're interested in things that get you thinking and people that have researched it, whether that's audiobooks, podcasts, lectures, uh, essays, which I think is hilarious. He's read them and listened to them and kind of ranked them and compiled them and just a fascinating uh, hobby, interest, thing to do, way to spend your time, something that I'm envious of um, the diligence it takes to do that. Anyway, I really enjoyed this chat. We sat down with some Purple Haze Raspberry Lager from Abita. You'll hear the story behind that as well. But here is part one with Nick McKay. Cause you hear it yeah yeah exactly but thanks thanks for um not only filling in but like <laughs> jumping in so quickly well i was like this is uh interesting the fact that you know i i, I just have no idea how this all happened you know what i mean so yeah you might ben talk. the magical character i feel like he lives such a fascinating life <laughs> so ben ellis who i'm yeah. referencing the last time he was on the show when he had that weird, he has that backpack that he feels like he has everything he'd need mm-hmm. in life in it oh let me grab a yeah yeah one. sure 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 and uh, Thank yeah, you. Well, uh, if you can fully it into the microphone too, people who okay, really love here that. Go. Here we go. Oh, not bad. Not bad. Um, oh yeah, can I have that thing? Thanks, yeah, dude. Um, but he was like, "If you need a, a guest on on short notice, let me know. I live pretty close." Cheers, and then, man. Cheers. cheers. Yeah. Thanks for this. Thanks Appreciate for doing it. this. And uh, I didn't I didn't bother him about it. It's been probably. A year close to it since he was. Well, he doesn't. Show. He didn't live here anymore. That's what he meant. <laughs> <laughs> he lives in Pensacola now with his, his sister. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Hey, man, I'll, I'll take you up on that if you do want to drop by late notice." And he's like, "Hey, great to hear from you. I live in Florida now." And I was like, of course. Yeah. No. Um. I grew up with Ben, so like he, his mom, and my mom are like best friends. Oh, like, okay. It's like it's like a triumvirate thing. So there's like his mom my mom and then another mom and they've just been like you know buddies for like 25 years now oh, <laughs> you know man. so I, I grew up with ben like going to middle school stuff and then like we went to the same high school together in tennessee yeah chattanooga <laughs> <laughs> the south like camaraderie feels different to me my mom's from the midwest i feel like they she had friends that they'd like raised hell in yeah. high school together and they stayed t- in touch but it feels like in the south there's so much more to just kind of hang out around each other, even if there's not a lot to do, just whether it's being on a porch or just kind of like... What's well, a slower lifestyle, I think. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like a more... It, it's very... Um, I don't want to sound mean already, but like religiosity, like rules things, you know? So like mm-hmm. people just kind of have like a more... Um, 
I don't want to say like well to do, but because it's like I I've seen both sides. Like I love the Southern hospitality. Like I love that. Yeah. Like I really enjoy, you know, even being a guy. Like I like opening doors. You know, things like because I just grew up on that. <laughs> but there is a side that like it's all kind of fake. You know what I mean? Like here in LA, it's right in front of you and just fake. And then <laughs> and then there, it's like it's you know we're gonna we're gonna be closeted about it but we're gonna put a nice smile and then just look you in the eye and it's like uh, you know, I don't I mean I like like handshake you know firm handshakes things like that like yeah. but um, like morals like growing up and a little bit more of that like I went to school in Illinois so like Western Illinois University and that's like two hours north of St. Louis and a lot of people that I went to school with it was so funny and again not trying to throw people under the bus already but like it, they would think that I was so much more racist because I'm just from the south and I was stereotypes but then going to school up there it's like wait y'all are way more racist <laughs> up here you know what I mean like I don't know what it is about it but like it's just funny like you said like the pockets of the United States that have like a little bit of um, camaraderie like you said yeah. I mean Southern California I think there's something out here too like Californians like they have a little bit I think you have to be involved in some element of it so you associate mm -hmm. Southern California with like surfing or something like yeah, that yeah sure that community seems like to me you just run into each other you'd know right. each other when I think of and but the by, the majority of people here don't really surf so I think mm -mm. people especially in LA end up feeling like they're isolated and lonely in this giant city that's a real common thing I think in dating uh, whereas mm -hmm. in the south I, I don't know like when I lived in Texas I went into it with probably more of a negative mm. outlook, but not, but I had been to Austin a few times. And I'm like, every time I've been do you there, live in Austin? Did I you? Did, live? Oh yeah, yeah, dude, I love Austin. I Keeping it, it was, weird, yeah, yeah you know, <laughs> I loved it. I thought it was great. I still consider it kind of a home base. And when I was going, I remember this guy telling me like, "Why are you going to Texas?" And I was like, "Yeah, I don't know. I have a friend that's there. It's cheap and seems cool." And he was like, "Texas sucks." So I had that in the back of my mind. Yeah. And then I got there, and like you're saying, like when people go. Like someone just little things. You're walking into a shop and someone not just going, Hey, but like, Hey, how y'all doing? Come on yeah. in. We got, we got some chicken. Just put it on. Like this is right. almost like you're visiting their house. Right. Right. Like, right. That's right. just different to me. Well, I mean that, yeah, that like barbecues and get togethers, like that's a normal, normal thing. I mean here it's, it's way more like the Latino community. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like they, they're the ones out in the parks, like in yeah. LA, but like in, you know, the South and I don't even, <laughs> It's funny because like we would have a lot of those, but it was like up in my like grandparents in the middle of nowhere. Like we would have those like all the time, you know, we would just go to a park and like get together and bring food. Um, but then I grew up in some like upper middle class. So it was like more of like at a neighborhood, you know, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like someone's backyard, you yeah. know what I mean? Like stuff like that. So it's a little different. Um, but I, I really enjoyed, like the, like you said, like the, everyone saying, "Hey, hey, y'all!" Like you know, mm -hmm. with smiles and asking how your day is. Like, yeah. I miss some of that. I mean, I lived in New York for just a summer um, when I was interning for the Olympics and it, for like NBC. And so this summer, I, that summer in 2008, I was just going around and and I was you know 20 and like mm -hmm. you know, still still that Tennessean person. And then in New York, it's just like they don't give a shit about that. You know what I mean? Like they just don't care about that. Yeah. And, uh, you just, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I, I like living, I've liked living in different places, but I think it's given me like a little bit of a vision of, um, not trying to be one. You know what I mean? Like I, when I was growing up, I thought that there was going to be a place that like was the perfect place right, yeah. to like move to. Oh, that's funny. You bring that up. You know, <laughs> we talk about that all the time. There's no perfect place. There's no, it's, perfect it's place. for you. It's what, what do you like? What do you do? You know, what, what, what makes you tick? And, and obviously like even it shows privilege of some sort that you can even that, you know, I've moved from Chattanooga, Tennessee, went to school in Illinois, did an internship in New York, lived in Chicago, and then moved here to LA and so it's like those moves like were huge and they did were pretty expensive but like not everyone can just pick up and go you know like I had at least some prospects I had at least some networking but I just to play devil's advocate mm -hmm. there a little bit I had I every place I moved I'd know someone who was gonna move somewhere else mm. and they were saving up a certain amount of money and I would just be like I think I'll just go and then I'd just
just that's rack up credit card debt or I'd show up with no job prospects right. and be like, I'll just figure it out. See, that's, that, I mean, I didn't go that hard, but like I was close. So like, so going back a little bit, like, so growing up in Tennessee, I always wanted to like get out of Tennessee, you know, mm-hmm. like I always wanted, cause Chattanooga, when you, when you grow up there, like it's not the same as it is now. Like if you go now, like it's fun. It's just similar to like what na- happened to Nashville in mm-hmm. the last like 15 years. Nashville, when I was growing up was the Grand Ole Opry. Yeah. That was it. And now it's this now broad it's, way. Like it's, it's like Hollywood East. Yeah. You know, it's, it's absurd. Like yeah. I, I know people that move from LA now to Nashville and that was like, wait, what? You know, <laughs> but, but for finances, traffic the whole nine, but, um, Chattanooga kind of went through that kind of resurgence as well around the same time, did a new riverfront, a bunch of stuff downtown. So like a lot of things are happening. A lot of tech came in, like a lot of startups. And so it's, it's a great spot, you know, um, the scenic city as they say, but I needed to get the hell out. You know what I mean? Like I needed to get out so fast. So I wanted to do broadcast journalism. I'd like loved ESPN and sports center and that whole, whole deal. Were you an athlete growing up? Soccer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like nothing too crazy. You know what I mean? Like it, it was kind of middle of the road. Yeah. But you don't have to you know? be like an, an amazing athlete to like sports enough to want to like pursue it as a, Oh, I mean, I grew up playing sport every single, I mean, I'm the oldest of three boys and we lived in a cul-de-sac neighborhood and oh, there nice. was like three other houses with boys. So it's like, we were just like running shit. You know, we had, yeah. Our own little teams, you know, and stuff like that. So it's like, yeah, all those, all, all sports, all the time. But um, for soccer, I really wanted to do broadcasting. So I went to a school, Western Illinois University, because I knew a friend. I went to the sports broadcasting camp when I was fifteen in nice. uh, Boston. So met these two kids. One from was from LA, actually, um, first person I knew from LA, and then another guy from Chicago. So uh, he showed me, he told me about Western Illinois and about all the experience you can get because I learned so early on. Um, in high school that like didn't really matter like what school you went to necessarily like to get a piece of paper it's really about the experience you have in whatever field after so like I looked at my prospects and I had looked at Tennessee Colorado Miami like great broadcasting schools but then they all have like they're all covered their sports are covered by ESPN ABC NBC CBS like all these big players and you may be able to be a grad senior or something and pull some cable like <laughs> what and then yeah. it's like fuck that you know I'm not doing that. And uh, so I basically went to Western Illinois University to do the experience because they really sold me on that, that you could literally be doing stuff as a freshman, like you're, you're running shit, you, you know, you're, you're carrying you're, a camera, everything. Yeah. Are you in front of it? Absolutely. Hey, everything. With the, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I literally, uh, to, to give you, um, kind of a, a an anecdote is the f- Monday of class start class schedule starting or whatever in the fall. We actually, my roommate and I, cause we were in with the program beforehand and, and everything. We broadcasted our first, uh, Macomb high school, uh, football game the Friday before classes started. So it's like we were, we were in, you know, like we were in. And so I did everything from news reporting to um, board opping to directing, you know, to, that, I mean, literally anything and everything. I worked at an NPR station, did that uh, internship with the Olympics in, in 2008. Um, it, when you get a chance to mm-hmm. see how it all works, I was thinking back to when people started it, you know, mm-hmm. like, okay, well, what do I need to make these four wheels go? Some sort of combustion engine. Right. I need a, a wheel to drive it. You can kind of get an idea of like, th- if this was the beginning of a car, all these other things are just add-ons. Right. But the, if you just... Had, so then you think of, well, you probably need a microphone and a camera, maybe a boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I, this previous podcast I used to do was at a network. And one time, <clears throat> I think they were starting to understand that we could just look and see like this simple little mixer and maybe a laptop and be like, this doesn't take a genius to, oh, to record yeah, yeah, a podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, Sure, sure, sure. But at one point, they got this board that none of us knew how to use. It mm-hmm. was so weird and spaceshipy. And I think certain industries get that way, where, like, if you stepped in and you had only been, uh, say, like, holding cables or mm-hmm. whatever, you holding the camera, and then you got a real job, and they were like, okay, now we want you to do this, and you'd go... That's a mixing board I don't understand. Whereas if you've done all of it, if you've done all the parts, you're like, I get how this car is made. This must just be an add-on. I'll figure it out. But I know how this goes. Uh, yes and no. And I'm going to do the devil's advocate, which you just said a second ago, <laughs> too, to that. It's like, yes. But then 
like doing all that and graduating early in three years, like taking gen, you know, uh, gen ed classes that are basically I double dipped. And so I graduate, um, I tested out of all math, so I didn't have to take any math of college. So, you know, it's, you were like on a mission. I was on a mission three, three and a half years at president of my fraternity for two years. But then when I got out, I'm telling you, like, it was a huge, huge difference of what, like being in this like specific, enclosed nice environment that i was used to for the next last three years and like was kind of like king of the campus kind of deal you know dj'd in college like had a nickname tennessee like in Illinois, <laughs> you know the whole deal and then i get out and go to um this news station in quincy illinois which is like an hour north of st louis and it's just not what fucking college is you know what i mean it's like it's just not and, uh-huh. and like it didn't you couldn't prepare it so like i'll Wait, give you a, it was like the new mixing board or no, it was antiquated well both the two two things one western illinois was great because it was trying to get above that uh there's thank that you. okay yeah sure <laughs> appreciate it a space cave i love it uh, <laughs> but um so they were they were on the forefront technologically. So they so do you remember when Final Cut Pro first came out? Yeah, like the yeah, that was fr- a big deal. So that was basically when I was a freshman in college. Mm-hmm. So that was the new MacBooks Pros. Like I got that like seventeen, you know those <laughs> like Hoss, you yeah, know ones. Yeah. And so I learned how to edit, you know, and we did all our stuff in Final Cut. Mm-hmm. But then when you graduate, you go to a real news station that is not digital yet or HD. And then they're still using Avid, you know, on like the back, you know, stuff like that. And it's like, wait, what? Like, (laughs) I got to completely learn this, you know, new system. It's very similar, but like you have to like technical stuff about that. So that kind of on some of the things like I was kind of behind the eight ball in terms of like editing, because again, I want to tell a story in terms of like timing is that when I went to, when I wanted to do all this, it was a camera person, an editor and a, and a reporter. Yeah. And I wanted to be that third person, the reporter on, on camera. Yeah. Yeah. No, the, the, <laughs> the, the economic downturn of 2008 and stuff, literally newsrooms decimated. So then it became three, three jobs into one. And I was a one man band or a, AKA a multimedia journalist. And so <laughs> then also you think you're getting paid one person salary or maybe three because you're doing the three work. No, 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 no. You're getting paid a third of the salary. I was getting paid $23,000 a year right out of college as a TV reporter for an ABC, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like affiliate in a city and yeah. very not, not that huge, like a market number a hundred. Like you'd but, get seen in the town and people would be like, Oh, I know you're from TV. Totally. You're like I make 23,000 literally. And then I'm going. And so I, I, I mean, I had to give you a thing. Like, I only lasted six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and I still had like credit card debt from like eating like ramen and chicken. You know, I was like, I basically w- a lot of things happened in that time. Like, I did some stories, did some live news. It was cool. Like, but it was just interesting. You know, in a different kind of um, experience. But then the straw that broke the camel's back for me, like moralistically, like it real, like again, here's one of these things that I really didn't think about, you know, when I was in college. Like, yeah. I mean, you're just kind of like, um, you're very sheltered, you're very privileged, you're very, you know, I'm going to campus, et cetera. But I basically was called to a house fire in the middle of Iowa. Mm-hmm. Snow's on the ground in February and, or even early March or whatever it was. But when you, in Iowa, there's not, like again like it shows like where you are like where you're from and geographically to certain things that you don't know but in iowa there are no fire hydrants like in the middle of nowhere right i'm saying like (laughs) you know just like out in the middle of farmland there's no fire hydrant for you to just like hook up to in case shit goes down yeah so basically what happens is a a volunteer fire department so someone calls they go hey we have a fire we need to go you know get the people here so then they call the fire department the volunteer fire department usually they go to the uh, firehouse then they get all, all the stuff and all the gear then they go get water then they go to the actual fire so it's all like damage control at that point you yeah. know and so basically i'm sitting there going to this thing you can see for miles like this smoke coming up like i'm headed to it like okay breaking news like shit like and i just done a couple of things like <laughs> a, a, a chemical thing or whatever so i get there and then i'm watching like three generations like just watch all of their earthly possessions just go up and smoke and then like i'm, I'm just watching there getting b-roll like 
watching a large house in the middle getting of nowhere B-roll. just getting b-roll it. like of the, the fire because that's for the nightly fucking news you know yeah. and then my segment and then i call my news director and like hey like you know da 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 and he's like oh yeah make sure to get a bite a sound bite with the family and it's like Oof. what the fuck do you think sorry hey, can we cuss on this <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like what the fuck do you want me to talk to these people about like right. they might have built that house like are they like yeah every they're watching every and these are not like well-to-do people like this is like people are literally watching all of their earthly possessions go up and smoke right in front of their eyes and then yeah. my news director who literally is supposed to be about like you know, the whole thing about news is to like be on your side, like, Hey, we're behind you, you know, da, 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 everything like that. And then the first thing, it's all about the metrics. It's all about the fucking views. It's all about the ratings. It's all, and it does like, that's what's so fucked of that. You know, I yeah. just, I just basically at that point in time, I had never thought about not doing it. But then after that happened, I was like, what am I doing? You know, like, why am I here right now? And that just completely kind of pierced the veil of like that I made about myself to become a reporter, you know, this like big thing to be like a Brian Williams or Walter Cronkite kind of character, yeah. you know, stuff like the that. The first few times I remember seeing it and being aware of that gross aspect was when they would use something like Katrina in their advertising the first mm. to bring you the most oh, comprehensive yeah. coverage like wait 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 i thought you were there kind of somberly yeah. delicately and kind of remorsefully having to cover it but that's the job yeah. as opposed to like get over there and get some b-roll there was a joke that we used to fuck around in uh there was a joke that we used to say if you get to if you someone if you get someone to cry on camera that's like gold <laughs> And it's sad because yeah. it's like, but, but again, like here, we, if you want to get into the weeds, like we can get real into it. Is it like everything is based? I don't think it's like Freudian psychology, but all of this is based on like psychoanalytics of like our evolutionary past. So like when you, when we were in the plains of Africa, 10,000 years ago, hundred thousand years, whatever, and something rustled in the bushes and you stuck around to say what's up or <laughs> see what's happening. You got the fuck eaten. Yeah. Right. But if you bounced like that fight or flight response and you bounce, you procreated and you continue to go on. And so news agencies and other people have kind of like garnered that response. And so they know this is why like Facebook is so crazy and social media, because this is like that, this example on steroids is that they pull at the heartstrings of you that you really have no physiological response to the not be, you know, about it. You literally, as soon as you see fear, as soon as you see those things, you latch on like psychologically more so because it is is like a defense mechanism because you don't want to die and yeah. it's like so they've garnered that in that, that that's the the most humanistic to like be worried about it and to be focused on it and then they've kind of made a business model on you know basically those ratings and such and it's it's really trippy it, it really is because i had no idea when I was going through this, like no fucking idea. You know what I mean? Like you're so naive and so young and I'm just 18. Like trying, like this is what I want to do rather yeah. than go be a f- lawyer or an accountant. going to be Walter Cronkite. But I mean, I, again, another, another thing that you meant, uh, instead of like news was a late, late thing. So I wanted to do sports at mm-hmm. first, but then again, 2008 economic downturn, you see all the local sports like ESPN just ate everything yeah. everything in and, and to get on espn like good luck yeah like everyone's got a shot but they don't you know what i mean like <laughs> you do technically but then it's yeah. like who you know what you're doing you know etc and so i saw that and then immediately started pivoting to news to be more quote-unquote well-rounded you know what I mean? like, <laughs> so the news came out in there and then that was what my job was and it's like i don't even want to be doing this you know what i mean like i just want to be like watching soccer and like yeah. watching sports and you know i announced the football team and that was the funnest time like i went and literally traveled with the women's basketball team for a season because i was their uh color commentator nice and it's like that was my first foray into like north dakota south dakota you southern utah like all those kinds of trips and i was like this is fun yeah. but then you got into news and it was like such a downer such a thing and oh yeah you know (laughs) there's i mean there are negative stories in sports and the media seeks them out and Mm -hmm. covers them relentlessly uh although this weird uh cheating in baseball thing just seemed everyone's kind of like that's okay but i remember like this period you're talking about barry bonds was in the news every day terrell owens something Mm -hmm. like that every day yeah and then 
but you'd be like, well, they're also just the majority of sports is just like the game happened. No one really got seriously injured. They shook hands afterward. That's the beauty of sports. It's yeah. really inconsequential, fun thing to cover. Like sometimes I'll get thinking about like people that have dedicated their lives to like debating sports every day, all oh, day. Yeah. And then oh, yeah. certain people make a ton of money doing that. And you're like, is there anything less critical to the survival of the planet or humanity than that? Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, you're nailing it because it's like, in, well, it's so funny to think about the amount of like, money that's made by like quote outrage rather than like information Mm -hmm. or legitimate um knowledge or whatever you want to call it but like it's 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 such a it's such a uh, lifeblood of terms of um revenue that it's really i mean once you got that revenue coming in it's really difficult for you to then just be like nah we're good we don't want it it's like your shareholders (laughs) are like screw you dude like you have to you you and i come in there and we're like we're gonna just try a new platform and do this (laughs) and after a month they're like we need to get back to the stuff that's a little bit uh sinister that kind of plays to the wrong human emotions because people eat it up Mm -hmm. it does great the stuff you're doing now that is just here are the facts here's everything that happened it bores people well yeah i know it has to be again that it's funny because it's like news should not be entertainment but it should be i guess you could say entertaining i don't know if that's a misnomer but it's like it has to there has to be some type of engagement like for me my biggest things that i like to are like docs like documentaries are my shit because it's like it tries to take a longer thing and another thing about news it's like good luck trying to talk about a fucking complex subject you know yeah. what I mean? like climate or whatever in like a 30 minute news block that again like let's get technical like you you open the show up you know with a little intro you talk say in your a block as they as they say is you know your top top stories like what's going on and then you have a commercial break then you come back and then you'll have your first thing with weather you know like a little hit yeah. then you get into your b block of like other stories that are going on then another commercial break and then you got into like sports other stuff another weather out and then that's your 30 minute news program yeah and it's like good you know good luck talking about iran or you know or palestine i you know israel good luck talking about like anything of substance that yeah. is not so cursory and so bland and so just like it, it's almost not real because they're just making it up to, or not making it up but it's like just enough to get you to say that like okay I listened to something about it but of no substance because if you were to ask someone after that news station hey um or in the news report like what did you learn or what was that thing about the second story it's like who you think that they know you know like the actual <laughs> like people are just very passive watchers you know and in documentaries I think you have to take a little bit more of an active approach of like well i have to deal with the information because then like the person or the artist the director is like trying to mold it a certain way and like docs have a a, just by their necessity of have more time you know and but they have to be so economical with that time like if you're in an airport i was in an airport and it was something as innocuous as like attorney general Barr is scheduled to testify so that's Mm -hmm. like on the the cryon, the, bottom, the cryon yeah, thing yeah, at the yeah. bottom, mm-hmm. and I, I'm on my laptop or something, kind of looking. Down. I look back up ten minutes later; it's still that. And I was like, that, "What else could they be talking about?" At least forty minutes later, it was still that. Yeah. So, how many times can you circle through the same thing and bring in another expert, bring yeah. in someone else? A documentary can't do that. They have to be like, "We're going to points one through seven, and we'll allot a certain amount of time for each of them." But at the end, we're not just going to loop you know plot point one or two six times yeah and be like did you like that and you'd be like no, no. you just kept saying the <laughs> same, same thing shit. well i know because so we had a joke so this is good transition is that we had a joke in high school because espn was just like in our student center just on so you would you would literally have that because yeah. they would do the 9 a.m sports center live uh-huh. but then at 10 11 they would just redo it you yeah. know they would just put it back on yeah and so it's just funny that but why did they do that well because espn became a 24-hour news network yeah. basically just for sports and then all of that came from like cnn becoming like a full-on always news thing well then if it's always on then you always have to have content and then yeah. if it's always having to have content then you get to the point of like metrics you know and it's like well each little hour spot or each half hour spot is worth x to advertisers and then you get you know what you get which is basically like the highest or at the beginning like of the day and at the end of the day when most people 
people are watching. But at the same time, like those advertisers are still getting paid. Like yeah. they're still pay- someone's paying for that. Like you know, blocks of time, no matter what it is. Yeah. And so it went from you know maybe a couple hours a day because you came in to the the channel. You know, you had other programming. Now it's like that's just what we are now. Right. And it's like, wow, that's a lot of content and programming <laughs> that you have to do. But then if you notice, like you just said, if you were to ask someone to then generally watch a news day and it's like tell at the end of this we're gonna have a quiz yeah like tell me what you learned I guarantee you I don't think a lot of people are learning anything about these things they're learning cursory knowledge maybe water cooler talk that they can say hey Bob emotions too very very good pulling on the emotions but for me it's like uh, it here's my take on it now as being a journalist, but then also I wasn't there for that long. So I don't really call myself a journalist anymore, but it's like, I find that if, unless it's at investigative adversarial journalism, it's glorified public relations. Yeah. That's what it is because someone's paying somebody to make this content. And it's like, then you get to the thing of like what Buzzfeed basically made, which was called uh, native journalism and native journalism is like, you have an article about the um, sun, you know, benefits of using sunscreen, yeah. but then at the t- top, it's like sponsored by Loria <laughs> and it's like, dude, like what yeah. the fuck? Like th- this is way too close. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and then like spotlight the movie, you you know, that won the Academy yeah. Award about the, um, you know, reporting of the Boston Globe uh, people about the uh, archdiocese and like the pedophilia and stuff. It's like that, that is what we need to be doing because you don't think that's happening in like corruption of sorts and government corruption and education, like everything, like look the fuck around. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like we, we need the fourth estate, but then in the last, say, decade i mean in the 2010s i mean the fourth estate is almost not there anymore you know it really isn't in terms but that's why i what are those reference the the, three the fourth is- estate i'm not for sure to be honest with you right oh, now okay. i just started th- like well because it's like the deep state is like all the intelligence community people like in the back you know, board, oh, sure. you know doing the x's and you know moving things like the jfk shit and all that <laughs> jazz but um the fourth estate was uh was yeah like public like walter cronkite you know oh, public journalism and stuff like keeping your yeah. eyes on power. Oh, this is what it was. I think it was because the three branches of government and then the fourth oh, was gotcha. like to yeah. be like, the, you know, <clears throat> yeah. Wasn't that, that was like Ben Franklin. I think I'm, I'm, I think his big thing was freedom of the press and he, oh, okay. then because then he also printed it. newspapers and was very ah. much like, I'll be, I'll help, mm-hmm. you know, help you frame this constitution, but I want to make sure that we, Established that like my thing, right. the thing I love, the press, is heavily factored into that, and so you could see why that you know if you have like judicial, legislative, and uh, executive branch, then the fourth kind of like not the fringe, but also hey, we're keeping an eye on all three of you. Yeah, well, that's that's our, their responsibility on behalf of us. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because it's like you, I don't know what your things are, but like I don't have a mortgage, but I know a lot of people that do. Yeah, I don't have kids, but I know a lot of people that do. Like yeah. they ain't got time for this shit. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> they need the thirty minute one hour like what is going on in the world like tell me like tell me so i can be informed like the whole basis of democracy is that we have an informed populace so what happens if the populace isn't informed or you know what if the populace (laughs) can be informed in three seconds you can go to twitter and just look at the trending things and be like got it so if you were to but then that's headline searching though but it is but like say for espn espn is like a model for how they they saw it when they were trying to fill their content in this way that you the netflix is now Uh comedy central used to just play movies over and over they would play mystery science theater and then have like South Park was really early. Oh, the Daily yeah, Show yeah, with yeah, Craig yeah, yeah, yeah. When they were building their original oh, content, similar to ESPN, where like Sports Center was their big thing, they'd replay games if they could. Yeah. But then it was like the world's strongest man. Uh-huh. The morning. Oh my God. Yeah. I remember that. <laughs> paid programming. Saturday were, like, morning or something before college football. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> totally. Like, okay, okay. You yeah, could yeah, see yeah. there were I'm people that were that. celebrities just, <laughs> today we're going to work out those buns. Here, Zumba or whatever. And then ESPN was like, found this sweet spot where it could show enough games and it could show enough people just giving you statistics, yeah, highlights yeah. that you couldn't get anywhere else. Smartphones didn't exist. No, totally. And the, the newspaper was the next day. What was so it? Elias Sports Bureau? Like yeah. Elias yeah. is the one who like pioneered that because then it's like they had this, like you said, the stats that no one had. You know, it was brilliant because yeah. you would, you had to go to that source to get it. And then I think they saw it coming that 
we just need some assholes yelling at each other. And and then you can pick your slot hour to half hour throughout the day as they regurgitate the same seven Mm -hmm. topics. Which set of assholes do I want to (laughs) hear talk about these three things? Right, right, right. How many times can I hear the Astros talked about? Or T.O. or like we were talking Barry Bonds. I really liked PTI. Yeah. I didn't like Around the Horn was meh. Like all the, some other things. Like I really liked Bob Lee, like outside Mm -hmm. the lines at night, you know, because it's like, again, that was the investigative journalism like of the sports. Like they would just, I mean, that was ESPN's Bryant Gumbel, you know, kind of deal. But they seem to have this objective, um, like free reign where if they went after something at Disney or ABC or ESPN, sexual Mm -hmm. harassment, they could do it. So you would watch Mm -hmm. these stories and be like, I feel like they're allowed to kind of have this swath of getting to the truth and stuff. And maybe we'd yeah. find out after the fact. Like, well, no. and that's because I, well, Ronan Farrow's book and stuff like catch to catch kill or whatever it is about uh-huh. how they like, you know, NBC just squashed the Harvey Weinstein story and stuff. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, yeah, that probably happens too. You know what I mean? Like yeah. at, at the highest of, uh, of those kind of levels. But at the same time, like there was some, I remember the adversarialness of things of, of like, like you said, like they were reporting on themselves and it was like, Ooh, this is weird. This is interesting though. Like, yeah. what are you guys going to do? But what, what I was saying earlier about, um, the difference of like places it, or the, um, kind of worldviews and where, where you get your information is that like, at first I was very much so growing up in the South, like you grew up on CNN and like, all, I mean, nine 11 was like in because middle school. Because of Ted Turner? Or like why CNN? Well, CNN in Atlanta, like is huge, you yeah. know? And so like that, like it just from Chattanooga being so close to Atlanta, like CNN was a, just a giant, giant mm-hmm. thing. Um, but for me it was, I, I started, learning right in college um but then right after college really is like sourcing and like biases from like your worldview and then basically i found that out of like different stories i can't remember which one it was but like i think it was actually a sports story um i can't remember which one exactly is um but like der spiegel which is like berlin's like huge newspaper okay and like build or that's their like sports you know newspaper Le Keep in Paris, then like you have the Guardian in the UK. And so it's like I started getting different viewpoints and then that filtered into news. And then it's like I then basically. I don't trust in any news. You know what I mean? Like I, cause all this what about is C-SPAN. Well, no, yeah, good point. Good point. Yeah, like just running congressional hearings, you know, and stuff they're like that. as close yeah. as, cause I was, th- as you're talking about all this, I was thinking what we wanted Walter Cronkite and those mm-hmm. people to be is robots. If we could have AI that could just suss out and it would be impossible because right. even if it was saying that Dow Jones oh. went down this much, someone watching would be like, funny. Hey, that's a tone there. It should have been ha- happier. That. Yeah, 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 there, yeah. There's some element element of like human color we want attached to That's it so point. that even if it's not necessarily emotional and maybe like did you see any of this at news stations like what's the backdrop of color what are subconscious subliminal things we're saying with our decoration with our desks mm. with our tie with our pins oh i can okay well yeah how the studio is set up i mean you have to be like um yeah it's like shirt and tie like it was always that you know i'm mm-hmm. trying to think of back of, of when it wasn't kind of like all the time on you know like primped and ready like and that was another thing from news that like i didn't really like is that you know um you would just do this hard shift like in because the more the hours were different you know i mean like sometimes you would have to do stuff in the morning sometimes you'd have to do stuff um evening and the scheduling of sorts and then it's like there's there is no work time balance or work you know life balance in news like you're just as a reporter like you're on and you always need to be on because if you're not then like a story is going to go this or or whatever and like i didn't like that because again like that's making people more robotic and computer rather than like well let's let's like like marinate with this information like let's like look at different sourcing let's you know see different viewpoints and stuff well there's not enough time for that right because newspapers like and new or news organizations like again like i told you when i graduated and this was 10 years ago they were already like scrimping by yeah and then now they're even more scrimping by because of the internet the internet youtube like all that like i can't imagine what ratings are i mean and again like do you even like nielsen ratings like do you like the actual like how they get nielsen ratings it's like 
by like pr- surveys and like calling people and stuff. And it's <laughs> right. like, I, uh, no one's being accurate. Yeah. It's like, I don't think that, you know, yeah. and then this whole like Facebook thing with pivot to video three years ago. And then all that was based on fraudulent metrics. And it's like, wait a second, you just like killed an almost entire industry already. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then now you just want to take out more so that it, I, I, it's just so funny to see like, how pe- again but that's their business like when things are when things are paid and there's a monetary value behind something then all of a sudden we have to make sure that the value is up to the ROI we have to get our return on investment yeah. rather than like okay well like is this art or like you know what I mean like it's it needs I'm not saying that like everything needs to be art but it needs to be more creatively produced you know and that's kind of side but the only way to do that is also to pay people you know and it's like if newsrooms aren't going to have you know a giant budget and stuff well you can't pay a bunch of people you're going to pay you know three people to sit in front of a thing to to give the news and then I mean that's what's happening with all these hedge funds hedge funds are, are just bring like eating up media companies and stuff and then they'll just like sell all the warehouses and stuff and then just or sell the uh, buildings like a real estate kind of thing and then keep like a very skeleton staff just to like keep keep content going out yeah it's completely changed but then that is also why i have a you know i have a thing myself you know because <laughs> i, I can do my say, own thing you know because you were saying you know all the news getting different perspectives mm-hmm. the guardian etc yeah. can sour you but then i think there's this well natural i didn't want to say this well sorry i i did this sour you a little bit but more so i wanted to say that in terms of like difference of a viewpoint like oh, you yeah. take more of a like if you get one from france and germany and the netherlands and italy and whatever and then you put them all together you have way more of a coherent view yeah. than like just here in the United States. And yeah. that's just a fact. Right. You know? Oh, sure. But then it, it also seems like <clears throat> the amount of data we're being fed, the amount of news coming from where it comes from, if you're trying to source it and then people lock in on their one thing, but maybe, you know, this, I get, I go here, I mm-hmm. go to this website or I get it delivered to my house mm-hmm. every day. And they've started getting a little too this for my taste. Mm-hmm. And then a natural thing, it seems like people go, maybe they start looking at the funding of it and they go, good Lord, there, right. there's a trillionaire that owns this. How can I trust anything they write? Right. I'm getting to the bottom of it. I have the time. I'm starting my own news. Yeah, and yeah. they get a following, then they become Breitbart or something like sure, that. And then sure. people go, who funds that? And then the next thing pops up. And then people, I don't trust the Federalists anymore. Right. And then they become this. Who's Drudge Report? And they, it just keeps growing into one, it, like not from a fringe standpoint but from like everyone searching for that thing of like I want to know what's real and true yeah, yeah, and yeah. I can only find that if I do it myself and then you get popular and then you have that return on investment where advertisers are coming to you because they're like we saw you started something mm-hmm. it looks pretty good what mm-hmm. if we threw some ads up you know, mm-hmm. okay now you're beholden to those ad companies and you might scrape a couple stories here and there even though you swore getting into it I'm going after just the truth right well, then you but become then, another one of them but then that's why also like well it's a lot in those kind of things. It's like you, you either have to kind of decide then if you're in the advertising business model or not. Cause then that's why like so many people are being like subscriptions are a big thing, you know, like specific like donations and stuff like that. Because if you take that money, you are into that. But if you don't take that money, well, that's not a thing that you have to deal with. You have to deal with other problems. You have to deal with reach, et cetera, but you don't have to deal with that problem. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I, I I don't have a solution to that. You know what I mean? Like I, but for me, it was, I was literally in that exact thing for 10 years. I basically had my ear to the pavement. I had a Twitter, like whatever. And basically I just said, this is, I I know that people are missing shit. Like I know that people, there's good content that I'm reading in articles. I'm, I'm listening to in podcasts. I'm watching in documentaries and I'm reading in books and I think other people would value that information and then that's how I started Eclectic Spacewalk and this was like you know it was basically a medium post once a month of the things that I ingested yeah. I just I like here's my top shit that I ingested <laughs> maybe I, you will find it interesting you I know? perused it a little bit and I loved that that it would be like here's a one the diversity of stuff was fascinating books <laughs> audiobooks, podcasts yeah, yeah. like lectures or yeah. you know who's out 
there reading essays. You me. consume a lot me. of stuff. <laughs> a lot of other people. Too. I was like, not only is this guy reading essays, yeah. he has like a, a top 10 list yeah. of essays. Not a, so if you're looking for that, it's a perfect place to go because it's just kind of like, I don't even, it's not a marketplace. No, because I, what I want to do is I want you, like you as a reader and a, and a person have a completely subjective viewpoint of this reality. Like, I don't know, like, again, like not to get too crazy deep, but it's like, I don't know what the fuck this is. I don't know what the human condition is. Like, uh-huh. is this a simulation? Is it this? Is it that? Like, no one, no one, and here's the thing. No one knows. <laughs> That's what's crazy. Like, no one has any idea yeah. what this absolutely is. And if you do, well, you're a fundamentalist and then I'm not going to believe you anyway because if you say, like, if you take a thing of I know everything and I will always know it, then then automatically I'm turned off because yeah. you, you're not taking the humility and like, you know, of saying that like, there will always be something that you don't know. You know? I remember having the thought and it, it this is somewhat tangential but I think it ties mm-hmm. right in of like realizing that the humans who have had a great impact on what we call this reality never said anything to answer it I was like Abe Lincoln didn't su- he didn't get us any closer to knowing what this is he just made an impact on what it is oh yeah that's but a good point that yeah. kind of, it, mm-hmm. it seems like such a simple stupid thought but it was just one of those where I was like no one's ever people have created religions and they've mm-hmm. thrown this is the answer mm-hmm. trust me and then people keep scrambling for gray areas and they keep like dodging them and do- no that because you're not trying hard enough to- well because then that gets onto our like that again it goes back to that like psychoanalytical thing of that gets a lot of people if you get most people to then like be tired enough because they got working and like they you know they have to provide and then they don't have enough like free time for curiosity and whatever well then yeah then they're just going to be like very easily pushed in one direction but for me it's like like again my mom's from the hills of tennessee like she didn't have running water till she was 16 like that's <laughs> 1976 people like yeah you know what i mean like it i write for those people but then i also write for like jeff bezos who's you know the fucking richest man in the world and but like i write for him because it's like you can't tell jeff bezos what to do with this money like you can't because then it's 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 impractical it's you know it, whatever but what needs to happen is some type of inception needs to happen you know what i mean like <laughs> some type of thing inside Jeff Bezos needs to come around to it himself. But I will also tell you that ruts, psychological ruts that you've been in for decades or whatever, like he's the mentality of a billionaire. He's a founder of a company, da, 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 da. And probably but, a psychopath. Oh, for, I'm not so, denying any of that. You know, so the idea of the, <laughs> you're hope that we're all hoping this level of empathy yeah. cracks in there where he's going to go, Oh geez. Why don't I, I, I give him an example just to show the extremes yeah. of like, you know, people who literally have nothing to yeah. people who literally have everything and then they still are not happy though you know in terms or at least in studies and things like that you know so it, it, going over those things is in the last 10 years I've been kind of like just keep my ear to the pavement not doing anything and then what happened was I basically not an epiphany moment but it's more like I just found out what I I wanted to say and I wanted to do yeah and so that came in the things of like heuristics and heuristics came and heuristics is basically like a mental shortcut is 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 what it is or like modalities of thinking and worldview and the reason why I wanted this is that I saw this thing of like there was a study that they looked at this these people looked at this artwork right this painting was on the wall they had a bunch of Westerners, like a bunch of people from the United States, UK, Netherlands, you know, whatever. And they look at this painting and all of them are like pointing, like, what do you see? And they all point to like individual things, like the person, the house, the fucking stream or whatever it is, you know? (laughs) And then they ask a bunch of, uh, Eastern people, Chinese, Japanese, like, you know, their different worldviews. They all talked about the, abstract things the sky the love between the two people you know what i mean like so literally language and how you grew up and everything shapes your worldview and then i started thinking about like just democracy etc and it's like okay great you vote for someone and you have a president of a country and even though the united states is like king shit now well what happens in 10 years like what was happening 20 years ago 
what, you know what I mean? Like you start asking those questions. It's like, well, does what's going to happen if we have everything good, but then another country fucks all that up? Yeah. Well, then that's not cool. And it's like, so what is bigger than that? And so basically the big heuristic that I was on was like the overview effect. So the overview effect is what happens when astronauts see the earth from space. Right. A lot of them like kind of lose a certain investment. All of them. <laughs> in their in their previous lives and previous thoughts and whatever they yeah. they 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 have said it's almost like a transcendent like experience and so let's just parse out some numbers here 10 billion no 100 billion people have lived ever like since lower hominids became like homo sapiens into like 200,000 years ago i think the math is so t- 100 billion people have ever lived only 500 people have gone up into space yeah so it's like, I think that not only is that a transcendent like thing that we did in the 60s, like it's a new dawn of a new thing. Like at past the 60s, we're all, it's a new thing. Like, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but like past the 60s, I think there's a huge thing. And it's not just technologically of us getting up there and looking back at earth. I think it's even deeper than that of things. Uh, uh, this philosopher talked about how the Earthrise photo, the Earthrise photo in 1968 is when Apollo 8 was orbiting the moon and they came around and then saw Earth mm-hmm. for the first time, like coming around the moon. And that was the most famous photo, like on Time Magazine, everything. The philosopher talked about that that was the first time that Earth had seen itself. Ooh. Exactly. So it's like now this thing that was creating these little beings or life forms or whatever has now come to a collective thing of a planet scale and it now is waking up you know what i mean now it is conscious of itself and so right now we're in the very precarious position is that it's at the very beginning of some crazy new thing that's about to happen but what's even crazier is is that we are actually at the levers about to figure out what to do with this you know and so Buckminster Fuller one of my favorite uh, thinkers and and one of the reasons why I started all this stuff is he's the inventor of the geodesic dome and so his biggest thing was like that we need to basically make all of technology into like livingry rather than weaponry you know because right now everything about technology is all militaristic yeah. killing people doing this and it's like if we just change that to more an empathetic like whatever we we really could be operate he, he had a book famous book called operating manual for spaceship earth this came out in the late 60s like imagine reading that in the yeah. late 60s like what like that must have <laughs> been trippy as fuck yeah and um so anyway, he said operating manuals for space first. He said at that time, China was at the controls. We were at the gas pedal. Somewhat Russia was at the fucking, <laughs> you know, at the window wipers and everyone had a role, but everyone's doing things non-congruently, non-coherently. Everyone's doing yeah. their own thing rather than wait a second. We all need to pilot this shit. You know what I mean? Like we got to figure this out. And so with all those things, long story short is that overview effect was the single most heuristic that I think anyone and everyone needs to know about in terms of like, I, yeah, there's more heuristics and we can go in there, but like that was my number one thing was that like seeing the earth from space has made astronauts look at this bright ball of like, life and blue and green etc in a void of blackness i mean when you think about space it's like we're because we're we live in non-space so it's like ah cool whatever it's just (laughs) space it's like no 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 space is nothingness it's a fucking vacuum like not nothingness technically but like a vacuum like nothing's there and so for us to go into that medium and then look down and then look around like again when we go and look at the Hubble Deep Field Telescope and look out into the patches of you know darkness and see thousands upon thousands upon millions upon trillions or billions of star systems that then have trillions of planets, it's like that's a huge perspective outside of us, right? But then if you look inward and down, you see that like we already are in paradise. We already are in an oasis. Like we live in a death desert, <laughs> you know what I mean? But then yeah. we live in an oasis though. Yeah. And and so it's crazy to think so that's number 1 like a pillar. Number 2 is they they see astronauts see how thin our atmosphere is. Like they look from the side and then you can tell like wait a second, that's it. Like, that's it. Like, from that death desert 
to us yeah. is this little thin thing of air and you know whatever like that's trippy on itself so again the thing the fatalist in nature of like our climate etc that we need to protect that yeah you know so so number one is like where are we in the cosmos number two is like needing protect where we are and number three um is the uh there's no there's only geographic boundaries there's no borders yeah you know what i mean like there's no basically in the 1920s in the middle east you know a bunch of white dudes looked at a wall and just was like well here's a line (laughs) here's a line and then there's a line you know and it's like what how's that work you know and and so but then you got to think about how commerce and trade and you know global politics all that stuff is relied on that and and all because of borders you know all because we have a singular kind of very low-hanging fruit outlook and then i the fourth pillar is the most important because it builds on all three is the astronauts when they come back or during it, whatever case you want to say is that they have a profound sense of connection with not just their fellow man, like humanity in general, Mm -hmm. but with earth and everything and all the life and all the stuff. So it's like they have almost a duty. They say that like to protect or do something about it. So those four things, those four pillars make this heuristic that would, I think change the world, you know, cause if everyone thought of like, again, you get into some of the uh, critiques of this as like, well, you know, you get a homogeneity and you know, stuff like that, which is fair. But then at the same time, it's like, I'm not saying that at every level we need to be congruent. We just need to be concurrent at the top. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the most You're important. Like, that's like, kind of almost every prophet ever. It's just kind of like, I have a tenant here that yeah, makes yeah. sense to me and should make sense to all of you. Mm-hmm. I'm aligned with you. I want to talk more about this. If no, no, go, taking yeah. a little break. Yeah, yeah. Um, and this purple haze is great. I've never had it before. Abita, Southern, Southern beer. You know, New Orleans. Yeah. Raspberry lager. It's great. I'll tell you a quick antidote <clears throat> before we break is the reason why I like purple haze is... Um, uh, I went to school in Tennessee, but then one of my friends uh, was misplaced by Katrina in 06. And so he actually came and went to our school. So oh, for okay. like the last year and became one of our best friends, like in our friends group. Unfortunately, he passed away when I was a, fr- a freshman in college, but he was from New Orleans. And so for like two years, we went down to New Orleans and had a ball. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah a ball and someone from from new orleans showing us around town and like a drop top jeep and drinking purple haze like (laughs) that was my shit so when you said when you said that i was like all right purple haze like if you're asking for (laughs) beer that's what i really want (laughs) i'm so glad you you (laughs) felt like this doing this little thing was worth sharing that something with such an emotional attachment oh yeah i mean jay's jay's my boy i mean rest in peace to jay like he he was the shit he was awesome but like um yeah coming around new orleans and and everything like i don't drink that much anymore but it's really like a guinness from an irish breakfast or like you know a beer with like a meal or something but like you know you asked what my favorite beer was and i was like well purple haze you know yeah so it's great i like it okay it's good craig and we'll get right back sorry to cut off there i know it's tantalizing You'll have to wait and come back next week. Or if you're binging this, you can skip ahead a few seconds and skip to the next episode and pick up that chat because it gets very philosophical and really into um, all the stuff I, I love talking about. And I like different perspectives on it. And Nick is just fascinating. So I hope you liked it. Uh, appreciate him stopping by. It was kind of a last minute thing where I was checking in with Ben and Ben now lives in Florida and said, oh, but Checking with my friend Nick. Crazy that they grew up in Tennessee, that they spent their childhood together, were friends, and are both as, not just bright as they are, but uniquely bright in that you just don't run into a lot of people that have such a wide array of knowledge, of interests, of of like background pursuits that have uh, that they've successfully endeavored in, and et cetera, et cetera. I just... I don't know. I guess where I'm from, I just don't know a lot of people that have done that or do that. Not to say I don't know interesting people. I definitely do who have who are very accomplished in their lives. But these two fellas, just unique and diverse and the, the way they let their minds wander off and then go pursue what they've uh, kind of gotten interested in. And anyway, I could go on and on. But uh, come back for part two with Nick McKay, more Abita Purple Haze. If you haven't had that beer, try it out. It's pretty good. 
Thanks to those of you who do support the show on Patreon. It is made possible by contributions from listeners just like you. There's no ads on the show. I try to keep it that way as much as possible. And Patreon definitely helps. So thank you to those of you who do support the show. It helps with buying beer and uh, paying for music, web hosting, all that sort of stuff, the little knick-knack things that go on behind the scenes, as well thanks to Dan Pritchard, who puts the show together from the goodness of his heart. We're thinking about him and Ashley, as always, as well as our friend Gene Hospod. Can't hurt to send a little good energy. Those people's ways are part of our family, part of our community. Sending them warm wishes. If you have suggestions for the show, uh, you can email pings at the Space Cave for recommendations on beer, guests, topics, music, whatever you'd like. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. want this to be uh, something that you feel uh, invested in, whether that's you having committed something to it or not. So if you're like, you know what? I'd like you to play my friend's band. Try it out. I'll do it. I like getting... uh, new artists out there in the world i know everyone's got to have like a strategy or a marketing thing these days sometimes you just got to get your stuff out there so rather than spend a whole bunch of time focusing on how to brand it send it over here float it out into the tiny little nether region of the universe in the space cave and who knows who's listening maybe they'll like it and super stardom is right around the corner to put you on a rocket ship and your band will take off who knows This band, I don't know a whole lot about, other than I like this song. It sounds kind of uh, surf rocky, kind of beachy, throwbacky, but just, just good. I just like it. Hope you do too. It's called Fooled by Dan Luke and the Raid. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for stopping by the Space Kid. Let's